Hello, hello, hello. I'm Janessa Prudholm, wife, mom, Jesus lover, and your podcast host. You're listening to the hashtag Create Your Earth Life podcast. This podcast has converted with me from new age to Christian. And the goal here is to help you grow in your faith through Bible studies, testimonies, and real life experiences. So ex-New Agers, newborn Christians, mamas, entrepreneurs, and those who want to grow in their faith, you have come to the right podcast. Say a prayer, grab your drink of choice, and let's get growing. If you are looking for a gift for the holidays, for an anniversary, to treat yourself, or to just support a Christian store, check out Gravy's Jewelry. That is G-R-A-V-I-E-S period shop, S-H-O-P. You can find them online at that address. I love my Child of the King sterling silver ring with cubic zirconia diamonds. I wear it every single day and it is a wonderful reminder that Jesus is king. I also love my galaxy necklace that is made with moonstone. And my favorite part about receiving jewelry from Gravies is that every piece of jewelry comes with a verse. I have also found that the jewelry is of great quality. I have been wearing Gravies jewelry for a few months now. Gravies provides earrings, adjustable rings, bracelets, and reversible necklaces, which means you're paying the price of one for two. The most fabulous thing about Gravies is that almost all their jewelry is $30 or less. Gravies provides all faith-based jewelry. They have sales all the time. And you can use my name, Janessa, J-E-N-A-S-A, for 15% off your purchase. So head on over to Gravies, that's G-R-A-V-I-E-S period shop, and get something for a friend, a family member, or treat yourself. Remember that you can get 15% off with my name, J-E-N-A-S-A. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to the hashtag create your earth life podcast. Today we have a new guest, a new friend. His name is Pastor Mike and he was an atheist and now he's a pastor. So he's going to share his testimony and I hope you guys enjoy. Go right ahead. Hey everybody. (laughs) It's so awesome to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So as you heard, I used to be an atheist at one point. And probably if you're listening right now, either you struggle with atheistic thoughts, maybe you wrestle with the idea that God doesn't exist. And maybe you know somebody, a friend or a family member, and you desperately hope that one day they'll believe in the existence of God and maybe even take a step further and accept Christ as their savior. And you're looking for some resources or you're looking for some perspective in this episode. So I want you to stick around for the entire episode because I believe there's going to be something for you. Um, I believe in divine appointments. And so my story starts as a kid in uh, storefront Pentecostal churches, my mom was a single mom with five kids and she raised us in church. And I hated church. I hated everything about it. As a matter of fact, the kind of churches that my mother took us to were super loud 
uh, that, you know, just people worshiping and praying and speaking in tongues and scream preaching. And I've always been extremely introverted. So being in those environments was super uncomfortable for me. And I was bored out of my mind. This is like the era before seeker sensitive church. So there, there was no um, kids ministry <laughs> that you, that you wanted to be in. And so really my memories being in church were all just torture, <laughs> just torture. And then, you know, I was, I've always had a bend towards intellectualism. So I'm someone that loves science. I remember even being a poor family uh, raised on welfare by a single mom, I was able to get my hands on a set of Encyclopedia Britannica's. And that's like, this is pre-internet age. And I remember reading through the entire set of encyclopedias as a kid out of my, just my own curiosity. And so I didn't really know anyone in my environment who was intellectual. Most of the people that I was raised around were just simple, lower class people, working class people. So when I got to be around 17, 18 years old, I ended up being the first generation college student on both sides of my family. And for me, that was a big adventure. I, it's, I'm kind of cutting through a lot of the story to get to the, the you know, kind of get to the good part. But I started at Indiana University, Bloomington, which is a big 10 university. And this is in the early 2000s. And they had a lot of programs that were ranked top 10 in the nation. I was dating this girl who, who at the time, um, she, she got a perfect on her SATs. And then she also scored like Ivy League in her um, uh, Ivy League on her SATs. And then, you know, she was kind of getting scouted by a lot of top tier schools and ended up deciding to go to Indiana University, Bloomington. And I followed her there. <laughs> And so I'm dating this, this girl who has uh, very successful parents. She scored, um, she made national news for her SAT score. She was, she was brilliant. And at the same time, I'm now in this academic environment and I'm surrounded by people that are completely different than anybody else I've been raised by. And I had that cliche experience of showing up to a biology class in a um, academic environment and the professor said god doesn't exist and he started the class off like that and i remember at that point was the first time i really heard somebody articulate it that way because i would say even growing up the people that i was surrounded by they they still believed in god or to some extent like, I can't say that I really came across like true atheists growing up. They may not have been religious or attended church regularly, but everybody sort of had a sense that God existed. So hearing this guy who is, in my opinion at the time, more intelligent than anybody I've ever met, you know, he's teaching at this top 10 school and he said, God doesn't exist. I remember thinking the thought, what if every person I've ever encountered before is lower intelligence? good-hearted people, but they're just, I, I was raised in the culture of the poor and religion is just for poor, ignorant people. And I remember thinking that, like, what if all the experiences I had in church were just foolishness? It was just people uh, having a crutch, a mental and emotional crutch, and they formed a community and they called it church and it just made them feel better, but God didn't exist. So that's how my atheism started. And so, then I started to really wrestle with it. And as that thought grew bigger and bigger, 
in my mind, I started reaching out to guys in my dorm room, uh, in my dorm, like the floor that I lived on in my dorm and just saying, Hey, what do you believe in? Why? And one guy was a Hindu. The other guy was a Muslim. The other guy was agnostic, which, you know, means that you can neither uh, confirm or deny the existence of God. And so people started really explaining to me what they believe and why. And I, it was so fascinating that I said, let's get together and form a group and do this regularly. Because people were crying in these conversations. People were um, expressing their own doubts, their own confusion, their own reservations about their parents' religion and how they were raised. So I started this thing called Spirituality Talks. And it really was just me trying to figure out what I believed and kind of borrowing from other people's perspectives. And that it ended up growing by word of mouth so big that we ended up having to get bigger rooms and bigger spaces. And then finally the university found out and then they approached me and they said, Hey, we love what you're doing with these spirituality talks. If we trained you this coming su summer throughout the entire duration of the summer, would you teach it? as an electives course in the fall. And so I agreed to do that. So my junior year of college, before I even had a degree, I was teaching this elective class called spirituality. It was like a, a spirituality 101 type thing. And um, I can't remember the exact verbiage of what, what we had to settle on, but it was like introduction, introduction to spirituality or world spirituality or something like that. And it was like a, a, a reduced credits, like a I think it was like one and a half credit or two credit, some, some kind of reduced credit class. So my junior year, I was people's professor for this elective class and we would facilitate these conversations. I would take them to the Jewish cultural center, the Islamic cultural center. I would bring speakers in and just facilitate these crazy conversations. And through all of that, I went from someone who identified as a Christian to somebody who identified as an atheist, that God doesn't exist at all. So that was my story. And I'm facilitating these conversations. I have students of my own. I haven't even graduated from college yet. And then all of a sudden, that same year, I decided to move out of my dorm and into a house on campus. And I moved into this house, not knowing two of the four or two of the three uh, roommates, I would have been the fourth and never met these guys before. And one of them ends up being this Ivy league educated theologian who was coming back to Indiana to do his, his doctorate in finance. <laughs> so like, it's the most random guy ever his name. And if he's listening, shout out was Lamont King black. That's, that's his real name. And he was such a character. He was older than everybody else but he was living in this house and I'll never forget him. You know, we got to know each other and he's like, well, tell me, tell me about what you believe. And I was like, well, I'm an atheist. And, you know, and he was like, well, have you always been an atheist? And he kept like drilling down deeper and he knew that I was facilitating these spirituality talks. And he's like, well, you know, I'm a theologian and no disrespect, but the questions that you're asking are very easy to answer. I think that you've just never been exposed to an intellectual Christian. I think you've only ever met people who just kind of operate off a of blind faith. You know, they just believe it because somebody, because they want to believe it or somebody told them to believe it. And he was like, I, I actually believe that you don't have to divorce reason from faith. I, I think that you can, um, I think science substantiates faith. 
I don't think it disproves it. And he just started like expressing the things. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and so over the course of that year, over many, many conversations, he kept just really dismantling a lot of things that I wrongly believed. And um, one of the big breakthrough moments I had was he introduced me to this astrophysicist named Dr. Hugh Ross. And at the time, Dr. Hugh Ross was making waves. This is like the early 2000s because um, astrophysics can actually look at the universe from the perspective of outer space. And he was basically Dr. Hugh Ross, who was also an atheist, came uh, into faith as a Christian because he said that uh, the, the Genesis account of creation is uh, corroborates what modern astrophysicists are discovering as they look at the universe. And so like modern astrophysics, uh, astrophysics are proving uh, the Genesis account of creation. And so that to me was mind blowing because I'm like, wow, there's, and at the time there were hundreds of scientists who were giving their lives to Christ because if you believe in the Genesis account of creation, uh, then it, it makes you wonder whether the rest of the Bible is true as well. And they were going on this journey and, and, and actually discovering uh, Christ as savior as a result of astrophysics, which was crazy. And so I was like have, having all those conversations and uh, just really going on this crazy intellectual and emotional journey, a spiritual journey. And um, I really came to a moment of surrender because Lamont King Black, my roommate in this house in Bloomington, Indiana, just kept bringing me back to a place of being able to uh, reasonably and rationally justify faith in Christ, which I just didn't know exist. And so I think I was raised in an environment of emotionalism through Pentecostalism. I was, uh, and so I just assumed that religion was only emotional. And I didn't realize that when that there was freedom available to me in my mind, that it was an intellectual, that God gave me my intellect and my intellectual facilities. And, and it was a gift and that free will was a gift as well. And, and so I used that free will that year to really surrender. Um, and I, I'll never forget like Lamont leading me in prayer as I was really like rededicating my life to Christ. And I, I remember just crying and I only thing I could say was my mom was right. <laughs> I can't, I can't say my mom was right. No, my mom didn't know why she was right. And I think that's the interesting thing about um, being a Christian is that she didn't understand astrophysics. She didn't understand philosophy. She didn't understand church history, uh, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Aramaic, authorial intent, uh, historic context. She didn't understand that but she got a revelation of who God was through the Holy Spirit directly. And I know the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And so it was like funny because I arrived to the same conclusion as my mom through a different path. And I think that for anybody who's listening right now, I would just encourage you like um, what it means to be a believer is not just blind faith. I think it's a convergence of every single part of your being coming together in complete and surrender to God. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things, will lead you into all truth. And for me, it, I kept thinking about that scripture that said, uh, ask and, you know, ask, seek and knock. So it's like, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open unto you. And the one thing that I did right through my atheism is I never stopped seeking. 
I never stopped asking and I never stopped knocking. And that's the true hallmark of intelligence and intellectualism. If you, if there's all these people who are like, I'm an atheist. I'm like, well, how do you know? Show me the books that you've read. And unfortunately, now that we're 20, 20 to 25 years removed from the story I just told, most people's atheism is based on YouTube videos that they watched that were produced by some guy who lives in his mom's basement. And it's not peer reviewed. It's, it's not scholarly. And um, it just utilizes like the bare basics of persuasive language and puts together imagery. And so I find a lot of YouTube atheists nowadays. And so I really challenge them. Like I respect an atheist, an atheist who actually studies, not one that just watches YouTube videos and, you know, show me the books that you've read. <laughs> and so I think for me, one of the things that I did right in that season was I read the Hindu Vedas. I read the Quran three times. I read the Bible from cover to cover Genesis to revelation multiple times. And, um, I looked at all the reasons why people would refute the credibility, uh, and the authority of scriptures. And I really wanted to know it for myself. And all these years later, I've talked to Hindus who've never read the Vedas. I've talked to Muslims that have never read and studied the Quran all the way through. And I've, and I unfortunately have met a lot of Christians who've also never read the Bible all the way through either. And so it's not just like being a student of science, because what we know as scientific fact in one era changes in another era, just like astrophysics, they were getting a new understanding in the early 2000s that was calling, causing people to eventually become Christians. And you can read all about that. Dr. Hugh Ross has a website called reasons.org, and you can go check it out on his site because he explains it much more uh, eloquently than I can. But the science changes and, but are you asking, are you seeking, are you knocking? And so I think a lot of times now that I'm not only a Christian, but actually a pastor, people come to me and they're like, well, how do I convince my child? How do I convince my friend? And I'm like, you know, I think that's the wrong tactic. I think you should encourage them to go deeper <laughs> because um, I can't remember the exact quote, but it, it, one of the, it says something like, you know, science is like uh, drinking a glass of water. It's like the first gulp will turn you into an atheist. But if you get to the last drop, you'll end up a believer in God. <laughs> and so it's like, I, for me, I usually encourage, I, I almost like when someone's like, I'm an atheist, I'm like, you know, okay, let's go deeper. Like, what are you reading right now? Like, how did you form that opinion? And just help them understand how intellectually lazy they are. Because I think that the challenge to most of them is, um, you'll, you can get into realms where it, it's like Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein had a belief in a, like in a distant God, more of like a watchmaker, you know, it's like he created everything, set it in motion and then stepped back, but he still had some sort of esoteric connection to the idea of God's existence, you know? And so it's like, like usually the higher IQ you are, the more willing you are to embrace amb ambiguity and the unknown. And, and you can call it the supernatural or whatever. But I think when people are just hardlined atheists, uh, I think Plato said that atheism is a disease of the soul be ever, before it ever becomes an under misunderstanding of the mind. And so most of the people that I've met who claim atheism are usually just anti-church or anti-Christians. Uh, they're not necessarily, they, they're not necessarily like not nowadays. I, I guess the people I, I encounter who are like, yeah, I'm an atheist. 
it's more of them being anti-church or anti-religious people. And so that quote by Plato, it's a disease. Atheism is a disease of your soul before it becomes a misunderstanding of your mind. Mainly people are not wrestling with, um, you know, quantum physics. <laughs> They're wrestling with church hurt. They're wrestling with uh, what they perceive as like bigoted, judgmental Christians, and they're anti those kinds of people. And so I would just encourage you, like the more you try to shove Jesus down people's throat, the less they want it. Uh, I like Jesus invitation. He said, taste and see, but he didn't say like, pour it down their throat. And so it's like, <laughs> and so, you know, taste and see that he's good. But if you can't get somebody to taste it, it's like if you pour it down their throat and they don't like the taste of it, they're going to hate it more because now it was forced on them. But then if they try it themselves and they like what they taste, they might even embrace it because they're embracing their own choice. And so I just tell people, hey, I'm provoking you to taste. I'm provoking you to try, but you've got to taste and then see if it's good. And so I don't really um, try to make people into Christians. I don't try to change people's minds. I actually don't think I have the power to do that. I think cult leaders do that kind of stuff. You know, like cult leaders love to change people's mind. They love to brainwash people. Jesus was the opposite of a cult leader. He just gave an invitation. As a matter of fact, like Jesus in a lot of ways was very different than most pastors because he wasn't trying to grow his ministry. Matter of fact, you get like a couple of instances where Jesus intentionally tried to shrink it. <laughs> and you don't, you just don't see pastors like that. Remember, Jesus brought them in on signs, miracles, wonders, healings, all these things. But then there came a point where he deepened it and said, okay, now to go to the next level, you've got to understand that you're going to have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And obviously he was talking metaphorically, but it, he knew what he, he knew he was saying a hard thing. And it said that many people left Jesus and they said, this guy's crazy. Like, how could we do this? But he was intentionally thinning him out. And I think uh, some of us are so obsessed with the idea of everyone thinking like us and everyone agreeing with us that we end up going more into the realm of manipulation than we do the miraculous. And so Jesus was like, Hey, um, you know, taste and see, and then he would say hard things like, you know, it's, and for me, it's like, uh, last thing I'll say towards all this is, you know, really to, to become a Christian, you've got to believe that uh, the Holy Spirit overshadowed a teenager named Mary. She conceived a child, which is absolutely crazy. And then that child was tempted in every way as that child grew into a man who we know is Jesus, and then died a Roman crucifixion, which is a common punishment for criminals of the day. And then three days later, triumphantly came back to life and was seen by hundreds of people over the course of 40 days. And that's crazy. <laughs> like to, to believe all of that. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And so, you know, people are like, I don't want my kid to be an atheist. It's like, listen, there's going to be a moment where your kid has to operate in some realm of faith. And so if it's only intellectual, if it's only emotional, there's got to be a spiritual component. And that part is reserved only for the Holy Spirit. And so it's like, you can't do the Holy Spirit's job. You can facilitate great conversations. You can encourage them to go a little bit deeper in their studies. You can have some emotional experiences, which I do think have merit. I think God gave us emotions, but you can't ever replace the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I think there comes that point where you just trust. 
And God had me on a collision course with destiny. I didn't know that out of a, I think at the time, 30,000 student campus that I was going to move into a home with a, with a theologian. <laughs> like there's no way, there's no way I could have known that, but I believe that God had me on a collision course with destiny. You know, there's a high likelihood that somebody's listening to this right now, realizing that you are having one of those destiny encounters right now. And it's just, um, what I love about Christianity is after 2000 years, it has withstood intellectual attacks. It's withstood war. It's withstood governments and kings and kingdoms all pass away. Um, but Christ still reigns triumphant. And to me, it's just peace, still healing people. He's still delivering people. The supernatural is still uh, very much happening in the lives of believers all around the world. And I'm just so grateful for my story and my testimony happening the way it did, because what happened was I had the foundation of a childhood where even though I hated church, there were seeds that were being sown. And so to all of my deconstructing church hurt friends listening right now, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, the truth is still the truth. Even though that pastor sinned, uh, even though that church was operating in some degree of error, it doesn't make 100% of what happened wrong. And so you've got to pay attention and say, yeah, sometimes the weeds grow right next to the flowers, but you pluck out the weeds, you don't pluck out the flowers too. And I think that I look back at my childhood and say, man, I learned a lot and God was doing something very significant in my life. And I had to tend my own garden, the garden of my soul, the garden of my intellect. And uh, I had to pull out the weeds of Pentecostalism, the weeds of the charismatic movement, the weeds of emotionalism. But there was also many beautiful things that were sown into my soul uh, through those years. And then I came out on the other side of atheism with a faith that really could, um, that really could withstand intellectual scrutiny and pre prepared me for really a global ministry where I, I'm able to speak on many different fronts with a level of authority. And so um, that's really my story. <laughs> and I think that one of the reasons why if you watch my content and you see my ministry, that God trusts me so much with signs, miracles, wonders, deliverance is because I look at things through the lens still of an atheist. And I, and I actually, I have a deep and profound respect for people who doubt. I think Thomas was somebody who had a front row seat for the multiplying of the loaves of fish and bread. Thomas had a first row seat for, um, you know, the, the 10 lepers getting healed and one coming back. He, I mean, Thomas saw it all. He saw the ear being reattached to, to the soldier, uh, you know, the day before the crucifixion. So for, for Thomas to say, Jesus, I really want to believe that this is you right in front of me resurrected, but I just need more proof. And Jesus didn't condemn him. Actually, Jesus was like, Hey, come and touch my nail scarred hand. Like, you know, just see it for yourself. I, I know that Jesus, the Jesus who says, I'm not intimidated by your doubt. I'm not intimidated by your, uh, your intellectual and scientific curiosity. I, I actually am provoking you to come a little bit closer. And so God has brought me closer through the mystery, closer through the questions, 
closer through the doubt uh, and closer through the wrestling. And I'm grateful for my story. And I think now it's like this big cosmic inside joke where uh, medically verifiable miracles happen all the time through my prayers. And it's hilarious to me because I, I'm more wired to be a doctor than to actually be um, a, a Christian with the gift of healing. <laughs> and I think that you, when you look at the scriptures, it's like there's an entire gospel by Luke who was a physician. And so whether it's Thomas who was dubbed doubting Thomas, he needed more proof, whether it was Luke who was a physician who would have had the most elite training in Jewish society for all physical conditions, uh, they decided to follow Jesus because what they saw and experienced was so real, it was undeniable. And so, you know, I, I think for me, I, what I love about my story is um, I probably can keep company with Luke, the physician, and keep company with uh, Doubting Thomas, and we can swap some stories, you know? And so if you're listening to this, just be encouraged. Your questions, your doubts, your fears, they don't have to push you away from Christ. I think it's an invitation to get closer. So that's my story. And all these years later, I'm still wrestling. I'm still questioning. I'm still facilitating conversations, except for now through, I'm not doing it through Indiana University. I'm doing it through my YouTube channel. I'm doing, you know, and all that. <laughs> so, um, and I'm, and through my church, you know, and so I think that all that stuff in the earliest foundation of my life is still in practice. Now it's just, I see the redeemed version of it. God's redeemed it all. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, thank you. I've never had an interview where I just went that long consecutively and it pulled out a whole nother side of me. So thank you for that. That was cool. Yeah, you're welcome. And it was, yeah, it was amazing listening to you. And I feel like God, like this was perfect for me right now because there were <laughs> things that I was wondering and questioning about. And then you um, touched on them. So one thing is this testimony, your testimony, for me is like very sweet because my son, he's six years old. He hates going to church. He hates it. He won't go. Um, so he just doesn't enjoy it. And like when you were talking about as a kid and you felt that way, um, it was very relatable thinking about my son. And so I keep telling myself I'm planting these seeds and there's going to be a day where he questions his faith. Um, right now he says he loves Jesus, but there are days where he's like, I don't want to pray or, you know, he, he asked me things like today we were in the car and we we're listening to a song and it was basically saying like, Jesus makes all bad things good. And I was telling him that. And then he goes, well, why hasn't Jesus made Satan good? And then the world could be better. And I was like, okay, like I got to answer this. And like, and so I, you know, I gave him an answer and everything. So he's still, he's wrestling with questions. He doesn't enjoy church, which I think is okay because I am teaching him at home. Um, we have own ways of teaching and stuff. But I just keep saying someday he's going to enjoy church someday. He's going to, he's going to get there. And, you know, he he's thinking about this stuff. And then, um, another thing that you hit on is talking about sharing the gospel with others, how it's not our responsibility or, um, 
you know, we don't have to manipulate people. We don't have to make them think a different way. Like we don't have that power. It's God. Um, so we just plant those seeds and then God takes over and he waters them. Um, but it's really scary and difficult for me. And like, I was with a friend the other day and I pretty sure she, like, I'm not even sure if she believes in God. I've never even brought it up because I've been nervous to talk mm. about it. Um, so hearing you talk about that, it's like, okay, I can actually talk about God not in like a very serious way of just like, do you believe in God? Like I keep thinking, like, I want to be like, do you believe in Jesus? But then I'm like, how do I share the gospel and not sound super serious and not joyful? Um, just the way you shared, it was very nice. And I think there were so many more thoughts I had, but overall, I'm just very appreciative that you shared your testimony on here. Oh man, that helps me so much. Well, I just want to say you are a good mom and you know, it often takes our children many, many years to really appreciate what we're doing and who we are. And I love that fact that you're just having a dialogue. Like we don't need Christians who don't ask questions. We need Christians that, I mean, listen, C.S. Lewis, he, he was one of the most brilliant Christians ever. And he just, he was able to wrestle with things intellectually. So I believe that God has such a significant, powerful purpose on your son's life. And he has the perfect mom. And God knew that when he, when God put his spirit in his body and gave you charge over his spirit, he knew that you were the perfect mom. And so I just want to encourage you just like me, I needed my, what my mom raised me in is what I needed. It's not what I wanted, but it's what I needed. And all these years later, I'm like, okay, God, you didn't make any mistakes because I'm so introverted and stoic that I needed a mom that was demonstrative, emotional, because she was counterbalancing me and making me complete. And so God knows what your son's need, what your son needs. And it's through you. And then, yeah, about sharing faith. It's like people don't often remember what you said, but they always remember how you made them feel. And so I just try to allow people to feel the love of God through the conversation and say, hey, listen, I haven't arrived. I don't know all the answers, but I'm on a journey. Let's go on this journey together and let's make it a dialogue. And then the Holy Spirit's going to do the rest. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We are five, about five minutes until the Zoom will cut out. So do you want to share with everyone uh, where they can find you, your YouTube, Instagram, all that information? Yeah, absolutely. So my last name's kind of tough. It's Signorelli. So Mike Signorelli. If you go to YouTube and type in Mike, S-I-G-N-O-R-E-L-L-I, -L -L you can find my YouTube channel. I have so many teachings about anything under the sun, and I would love for you to go there and subscribe and kind of join the conversation that's happening there. I go live multiple times a week, and I have people from all over the world that are in the comments, and we're like a big spiritual family and we laugh, we cry, we learn together. And so that's Mike Signorelli on YouTube. You could go to MikeSignorelli.com and see all the stuff I've got there too. And I'm doing a big global speaking tour starting in a week. And so you might be able to come out and hang out with me in, in person as well. If you go to my website and check out the dates and locations. Awesome. Well, that's very exciting. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, Hey, this has been so cool. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thank okay. you. Bye. I'll keep in touch. All right. Yep. Yeah. Bye.